So if it doesn't, let me know. Okay. All right, thanks. Well, welcome everybody to uh, the session after Teaching American History grants have ended, Imagine the Possibilities. Um, so we'll get started. My name is Stacia Kusieski, and I'm the Director of Outreach at the Ohio History Connection. If you're on the Twitterverse, at Stacia Lee is me. We also have with us Jody Engel, who's the Manager for Educational Partnerships and Outreach at the Ohio History Connection, which includes all the educational outreach products, teacher professional development, Ohio History Day, History to Go Van, Museum in a Box, that sort of thing. And last but certainly not least is our esteemed evaluator, Dr. Brent Garrett, um, who's been with us for quite some time. Started, uh, we started working with him with the Teaching American History grants, and he hasn't been able to get rid of us yet. <laughs> and and he's, you would do stuff with Kentucky as well, and you've done stuff with Pennsylvania too, right? So just to get an idea, um, our mission statement is to spark discovery of Ohio stories, embrace the present, share the past, and transform the future. So we've um, undergone a mission statement change in the past couple years, and this is the, the latest version of it. And it's a really, um, between that and our name change, because as of May 2014, we became the Ohio History Connection, formerly the Ohio Historical Society. It's been a nice way to, um, it's been a real shift in the way we've kind of done our business, so to speak. This idea of connection and the whole share, starting with the present to share the past and transform the future. So it really has been a bit of an ideological shift as well as represented through the name change and the mission statement. <clears throat> our agenda. Um, we're going to start with some warm-ups and introductions, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, do a little bit of a background about what our experience with Teaching American History grants were like, and then Brent's going to talk a bit about the data that he was able, that they've pulled together from not only evaluating the TH grants that we had, but the TH grants that lots of other organizations had as well. Um, the, the, Womp womp part about what happens when there's no funding left, um, and then where we are now, and then we're going to do some group discussion. So this isn't all going to be us up here chatting, because um, you guys have all done teacher professional development. You may have a background with the Teaching American History grants, so you all have just as many interesting and insightful things to say as we do. And then as a reminder that. Um, in the reauthorization of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act, a version of T Teaching American History grants have come back up. <laughs> so it was kind of funny that we proposed this session. And we imagined the possibility almost to be created. So <laughs> it's like, um, but. Uh, You're welcome. So, yes. Um, <laughs> Thanks, ASLH, for having this topic. Um, but what's important, though, to keep in mind, as with everything, and we'll get into a little bit about funding and diversifying funding, there were a lot of us that had a lot hanging on these grants, and then when they went away, a lot of other things went away as well. So if something like a TH does come back, how are we able to take the lessons that we learned from the first go around to be able to sustain it maybe a little bit better the next, the next time? So, Jody. All right. If you would, please re uh, get ready to sit on the end of your chair. So put anything that you have in your hands down. We're going to just do a quick little warm up. Do it within your ability. 
And we're going to get our minds focused, and uh, maybe it'll help digest some things, huh, at the same time. <laughs> so th- this song is My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean. How many of you are familiar with it and you know the tune? Oh, good. I'm not singing by myself. So every time we sing a word that starts with the letter B, we're either going to stand up or sit back down. As you can see, as you look further into the song, bring back, bring back, oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. We're going to be working our thigh muscles. Are you ready? Okay, great. So we'll start. Ready? One, two, three. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. My Bonnie lies over the sea. My Bonnie lies over the ocean. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Right, here we go. Bring back, bring back. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me, to me. Bring back, bring back. Oh, bring back my Bonnie to me. Give yourself a round of applause. That is something that gets both sides of your brain working, doesn't it? <laughs> so if you would, we'd like to hear who's in the room very briefly. We'll start over on this side. And if you'd say your name and organization, that would be terrific. So if you wouldn't mind starting. Well, my name is Ashley Stevens. I'm with the Texas State Library and Archives Commission. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, this is very exciting to hear who's all in here. Do you want to? So just to see where people, where people are, how many of you have at some point partnered, partnered on a Teach American History grant in the past? Okay, so a lot of us. Um, all right, how many of you have done one, well, you've all done one grant or so. How about uh, one to three grants, if you partnered on one to three? Okay. How about four, five? That's fine. <laughs> Six, seven, eight. Is there anybody else who's going to have a obscene number? No. All right. But so a couple, right? I mean, these were a big deal. So we've got a, you know some um, level of understanding, shared understanding. Um, so what's circling around in your heads 
that you'd like to have answered about like what we're going to do today. Is there something like, oh, I'm excited to go to this session because I really want to know or I'd like to be able to discuss with my colleagues X. Yeah. I would like to know, you know, there was a lot of time and money and, and effort put into the TAH grants. And, and I work with, you know, five different grants. And, and so, that, you know, now that they're over and the teachers are out there, being in a museum, now that I'm in the museum world, I'd like to know how I, as a, in the museum world, can take all those things that we learned and all that information that we that we got, and, you know, we did Sam, Sam Weinberg, too, you know, mm -hmm. reading How can I get that to the teachers, you know, out there in, in our community, or, you know, how, how can I do that? So it's how to do the awesome work you guys did with TAH without having the TAH framework, right. basically. And you were a master teacher, right, during the TH times. Okay. Uh, yes. Um, so I never personally worked with the grants, but my department before I got there had it. But I hear it come up as a, oh, we used to do that when we had it, and now we, we don't, and mm -hmm. I think it comes down to money. So I want to know how to be able to use these great things that it sounds like they had, and they sounds like, it sounds like they loved when we don't have the grant funding to do it. Like, well, how can we continue to use pieces mm -hmm. of this? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, in the back. We know that teachers want something similar to TAH, and we can offer a very bare bones version of it. How do we communicate with the teachers that this is out there, similar enough, but not kind of stealing the name? Okay. And part of that, so letting teachers know, hey, we're still doing it, even though it's not under the guise of TAH, and also maybe managing expectations, like you're not going to get a seven-course lunch and <laughs> stipends and books. And, you know, you're not going to have all this paid graduate credit, everything that came along with it. Yeah? <laughs> yes? So I don't know what other districts or states are encountering, but there's been a shift in uh, teacher workshops in Maryland, and especially in Anne Arundel County, where it used to be if you offer a really interesting workshop, uh, teachers would sign up for it, and they would come. Um, but now it has shifted to if you don't pay them to come. Yeah. Um, because they are so overwhelmed. My husband's a teacher, like I totally get everything, but I'm struggling with getting teachers to my workshops because either if you don't offer credit or if you aren't paying a stipend. Mm -hmm. So yeah, then this whole stipend question and then some recruitment and marketing of the programming. How about one more? Mm -hmm. and, um, and in district professional development, like they do it themselves. Oh, right. Districts taking on more yeah, of that role. Yeah, they're not bringing in the experts. Right. Okay. All right. Well, I think that there'll be some of that we'll be getting to. And then um, in the discussion as well, we'll make sure that we touch on some of that. Oops. Get that. Okay. So, TAH. Um, I won't go over the history of TAH, but for the Ohio History Connection, we received the first grant in 01, and through the course of that entire time period, we partnered on 22 Teaching American History grants. 
with school districts, educational service centers around the state and other institutions. And then towards the tail end, like 09, 10, um, there were two other TH grants that were based in Ohio where we didn't, were not original partners, but they had brought us on at the end. Cincinnati Public Schools brought us on to actually be their project directors for the grant after an unfortunate incident in their first year that we were not involved with. And then um, <clears throat> Miami University and the e their local educational service center brought us on to do some curriculum writing at the end because they found that they couldn't, their graduate students who were supposed to be doing it didn't have the skills um, needed to, pe to create the curriculum documents they were looking for. So that was a lot. So <laughs> over that time, that supported six full-time staff members. So by the time, uh, you know, we saw the TH, you know, you knew it wouldn't, wasn't gonna last forever, but six people were a lot of people um, full-time. So we had a department at the time of seven, myself included as the manager, and all of us but our History Day coordinator were all on TH funds. So that's, um, that comes, my station says bobblehead, which usually comes up in my presentations. So keep that in mind for later when the end is nigh and there are six mouths to feed. Uh, for those of you who may or may not be familiar with the affinity group, the educators and interpreters uh, group with AASLH, their blog's called the Inkwell. And so if you do want a little bit more um, info on Teach American History grants, or I did a blog on the TH Hangover, because I always was so sad. Everybody talked about how, oh, it's not here anymore, and oh, it's gone, and it was this kind of woe is us. But no one ever talked about what we all learned. Like, I became a professional one Saturday at a time through these grants. And so it's kind of celebrating, yeah, it's gone, maybe, um, but what are some of the things that we can celebrate off of that? So you may want to check, check that out, as well as all the wonderful posts on the Inkwell. Brent? Do a little dance up here. Welcome. Uh, I'm sure all of you got into this teaching American history world back in the day because of this promise of evaluation and data. Is that what drove most of you into the work? Yeah, yeah. What were some of the headaches that you all dealt with from required evaluation or maybe not even required evaluation, things your evaluator may have said you need to do? Or is that sort of like, you know, pregnancy where you forget it and, you know? It's like... Yeah. Ridiculous pre and post test. Good, good. And we'll talk about. <laughs> Uh, ridiculous pre and post test. Okay. Sir? Think like historians, 
except anecdotally, like you're just saying, this is terrific. Open-ended kind of. Great. Yeah. Some projects more than others were better about sh sharing data with all the partners. Okay. Um, sometimes you never really saw it. It was up in that ivory tower in the nice corner office, and yeah. some good research was being done. Okay. Okay. Anything else? And these are all points that we're going to talk about. The other thing is a lot of the evaluation requirements changed over the course of the grant. If you recall in the beginning, there was a requirement that they were quasi-experimental, mm -hmm. so that you had this comparison group of similar teachers uh, who were not receiving the intervention. And, and they would be given these ridiculous pre- and post-tests as well. <laughs> and we would judge the difference from pre to post with those who didn't get the intervention versus those that didn't. People remember that part of it? Yeah. What were some of the challenges you saw with that? Having to go to the training. <laughs> go to the training? <laughs> you have a, no, okay. Yes, sir. Identifying the, uh, the, the groups, yeah. I mean, particularly the groups that were not yeah. participating in the program and uh, legal and union issues. Union issues, good. The other thing is, m most of the grants that we worked with, and we worked with about 12 to 13, was they were, people chose to be in them. We were getting people who were giving up their Saturdays to come in for professional learning. And we had a comparison group of people who were not giving up their Saturdays. So how similar were they? Uh, one of the other things is what did we ask, you know, what we're asking our comparison teachers is one for them to take a pre and a post test and then for their students to do some other type of activity. And we know schools are welcome and loving of that one more test, right? So it was a real burden to get a good quality quasi-experimental design and for the most part it wasn't happening and towards the end of the grant period, they went away from that requirement, and I think in large part just because they weren't getting data uh, that was sufficient to use. So uh, let's talk a little bit about ridiculous pre-post tests. Um, the work we did, we used two types of pre-posts. One was a requirement of the grant. There were these things called GEPRA measures, or GIPRA, depending on your regional dialect, the Government Performance and Results Act, pretty much any discretionary grant out of the U.S. government has these GEPA requirements. And one of ours was that we would demonstrate through the use of nationally validated tests, if you remember that language, that we would see gains in knowledge from the beginning of the intervention to the end of it. And for most of the ones we worked on, that was each year we did that assessment. If it was a three-year grant, we would do that three times. What was the problem with using a nationally validated assessment? to assess your particular professional development. I didn't 
exist. <laughs> they didn't exist? I mean, there, there wasn't that national standard in, in some cases to evaluate your teachers. Yeah. Or at least appropriate, because I think we could argue that there were nationally validated tests. There's ACT, a uh, variety of states. We'd often use items from the regents, uh, exam pool out of New York. Um, but those tests were valid for what? Their intended purpose, not to be used by some Yahoo, you know, working in Ohio who says we can use this test to assess the professional development we're providing. And so really it set us up with a challenge to begin with. What we did, and I think a lot of projects did, was we would pull items from different nationally validated assessments that related as close as we thought they would to what this pr professor was going to present six months later. So we didn't always know the specific content. We knew the themes. We knew the general story that would be told. But we didn't know the specific, we didn't have the PowerPoint oftentimes ahead of time. As we went further into our, we got more experienced um, and really worked well with our partners who were once getting those items, uh, we did better. So, so some of the ridiculousness of it was really set up by the requirements for the grant. It's a requirement for the grant, you have to report on it, we have to figure out a way to do it. So some of the things that we try to do, so um, we had to pre-post across school years, so we use items from the NAEP, Praxis, New York Regents, Ohio's assessment, their some of their student assessments. And again, these are pretty much student college exams, questions that we were using with our teachers who could have been kindergarten, first, second grade, or could have been high school teachers teaching advanced placement. So really a, a wide variety of content knowledge being brought. Um, and then for each workshop, we did a very brief 10 item pre-post. On the post test, we connected that with formative items. So we would ask, you know, was it of high quality? Was it relevant? What was useful? What could be done better? So at the very beginning of every workshop, it was about five, we would leave about five minutes. Most of the teachers would finish 10 items, multiple choice, in about a minute or two. We had some who would ponder each one and, and take a little bit longer. The, the post test at the end of the day took about 10 minutes, probably at the most. Again, some people are getting through two or three minutes, and some were writing their Leo Tolstoy tome in the open-ended items. So we use two sets of those. Um, one of the most important things of the evaluation from the project's perspective wasn't so much the pre-post, but it was that other data about the quality of the workshop. And they use that on a regular basis to adapt the model for the program, uh, specific workshops. But those data really turned out to be valuable, but they weren't necessarily the data that we were required to report. Then on the student level, again, in the very, I shouldn't say the very beginning, maybe the first half of, of the Teaching American History Life, there was a requirement that we provided student assessment data as one of our GEPR measures. What was the problem with trying to present student data? We have a problem with uh, getting the, uh, the students on the computer to type the test. Okay. Whether or not they could get scheduled into a computer lab or whether the computers were working, so, and it would take a long time sometimes to get that data to those children tested. Other problems with using student assessments. 
for history, social studies. Do all of you have, you know, thinking about this period from what, 2001, 2002 to about 2012, did you always have history assessments for, let's say, at least like a fifth, eighth, eleventh? I know in Kentucky where I am, there were a couple years, and I think in Ohio as well, that they just pulled back. And, and there were no tests. So we had this requirement to use this test data that didn't exist because so much uh, focus was on, as someone said, your ELA, uh, English, your math, um, to a lesser degree science. And so in a way, we were almost set up not to be able to have good quality valid data. Uh, to, to demonstrate the effectiveness. So our strategy, uh, after brainstorming around all these issues, how do we get access to the results in a FERPA world, uh, it's become much more difficult. And so we created uh, what became known as the Dixon-Hedler Student Performance Measure, or the DHSPM. And, and it's sort of a funny story. We were brainstorming with one of our uh, superintendents at one of the educational service centers in Ohio, and he's like, well, what if we did more of a qualitative assessment and then developed a rubric where we could, in a sense, quantify those qualitative results, and his last name was Dixon, and then one of the staff at the uh, Ohio Historic Society at that time uh, brought up this idea of spiraling questions, which came out of Stanford. I forget the site, but it's got a research base to it and her name is uh, Betsy Hedler. So uh, uh, the person who started all this work, who was Stacia's boss at that time, was very upset that we didn't name it after the boss. But uh, we acknowledge the two people who helped with this idea, so hence the Dixon Hedler Student Performance Measure. Um, we never got that you know, publicized and put into research and made them rich and famous, but uh, at least they had an instrument named after them. How many of us can say that? Uh, but what we did was we used a primary source related to a, a historical image or event that was related to their grade level standards. We relied on the expertise of uh, the staff at the Ohio Historic Society and some uh, teachers who are working with us to come up with uh, these images to make sure that they were quality, that they connected to the standards. We didn't do those as evaluators. We helped make sure that the questions were written well, and we had to adapt. You know, the first year they weren't written nearly as well as they were by the end. Sometimes we'd have that two questions and one question. Sometimes we realized there was no right or wrong answer. It was a little bit too open-ended. Um, we had one It was related to transportation, and the, there was a canal boat. And uh, we said something like, where would you go on the canal boat in our very first year? And we would get questions like, you know, I'd go see my father in Pittsburgh because I don't get to see him much. And, uh, you know, is that right or is that wrong? You know, it may not be what we were looking for from a historical perspective. Uh, so we quickly you know, changed the question once we realized that uh, it, it wasn't working. We would evaluate students on two aspects. One would be the historical knowledge they would relate as they answered the questions related to that primary source image. And then second was their analytical skills and how they interpreted, analyzed, responded to the questions related to the uh, primary source. So a little bit of data. Um, the blue are our teacher assessments over a three-year period. You, you see a missing year one, and there's a couple reasons for that. For the student one, it's where we just struck out. We went in thinking we were going to use a statewide assessment 
That's what we put in our proposal. The more we dug around, that wasn't going to work. Uh, I can't remember why we didn't have a teacher assessment here. But for the teachers, we averaged between a 4 to 6% gain. The sort of sad part of that was we were topping out at about 75, 80% on our post-test score. So we weren't having teachers who were acing these exams. And many of the questions would be questions that high school seniors might get on the AP or, or similar kind of item. And again, my assumption there was uh, the content sometimes just didn't get addressed. Uh, we might have a presentation on uh, Lewis and Clark. You know, and that's short. You can wrap up that whole expedition into 10 multiple choice questions <laughs> easy, right? And uh, so we would pick items that we thought would definitely relate to the presentation, and it turns out it didn't. Again, after a while, we got working with our presenters and making sure they were aware of the questions. So at the very end, uh, a presenter might stick in, oh, by the way, this aspect of the Lewis and Clark expedition led to this, uh, to at least make sure the content got covered on one level. Uh, students, same thing. Uh, we were showing some growth, uh, but the post-test, where they ended up, wasn't really where we wanted. Did you do item analysis to, to figure that out? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, both for the institute the, the once a month workshops, we would produce a report that would have all the data and would have an item analysis show the pre-post, uh, where there were gains, sometimes where there were drops. So the problem was is oftentimes that topic wouldn't come up again. So you don't find out until the post-test. So, uh, and then this was just some of the formative items. Uh, so we would ask, uh, and these were on the end of a year evaluation, what impact did the professional development have on your interest in teaching, ability to connect past to the present, ability to uh, interest your students uh, in history, confidence and ability to research and find primary sources, uh, primary source skills, new teaching methods. Uh, the goal of the, the, the grant wasn't really to give them new teaching methods per se but rather to supplement what they were doing with primary sources and more specific history content. So the new teaching methods was the lowest. Pretty much across the board, what we really heard, both quantitatively and qualitatively, was uh, the importance of their skills in using primary sources. I'm seeing a lot of head shakes. Am I doing on time? Okay. Um, so some of the best data we gathered but in many ways, the least effective data was qualitative, open-ended items. Um, it's really hard to aggregate these into a, a statistical analysis and talk about uh, the effect size of, of these open-ended comments. It just doesn't work. But we are having things like it's been a shot of enthusiasm that's impacted my students. It's made me reborn. Um, one of my favorites was in year one, I did it for the credits. In year two, I came back because it was really fun and I was learning a lot. Wow. Uh, the first primary source activity completely changed the way I thought. So we were getting really powerful open-ended data, but it's really hard to package it and submit it as part of our 524B, if you remember that fun reporting process we all had to do. There were some other types of data, just real quick, that I don't have up here. We played around a little bit with observations. This woman in front mentioned, really struggled. Um, we would have 35 to 40 teachers 
trying to do pre-posts, trying to arrange times when they're actually in their classroom and sitting and teaching, and it's not a test prep day or an assembly got called. So after about two or three years, we went away from observations. We would do lesson plan analysis, thinking that's sort of a proxy for instruction, and uh, had a variety of issues with that. And, and even when we got good data, it's what they intended to do. We never know for sure if that's what they did. And uh, any other types of evaluation strategies that you all may have used that we didn't touch on? Okay. So after the grants went away, and I'm going to just sort of introduce this and we'll talk some more, but from a data perspective. So we no longer have teaching American history grants. Um, I had a staff of, we had a team of about four and maybe two and a half FTE across those four people were related to teaching American history. Um, for a variety of reasons, uh, we're at about 1.5 uh, now. Uh, but we're still doing evaluation work in, in the area of history. Most of my work is in special ed, and I was doing that while these were going on as well. And so that sort of part of our work has continued. But we've gone from $40,000 a year contracts to come up with ridiculous pre-post tests and, <laughs> and uh, student assessments and formative assessments. And, and now probably our average contracts around 2,500. And, uh, and we're doing a lot less. A lot of it is just straight survey kinds of information. Uh, not as many of the pre-post where you're researching questions and trying to test them and so forth. Uh, but uh, so some of the things we've done uh, to use data to help our partners continue to do work in this area is working around data. So where we ended, that qualitative data, those personal testimonies are really huge. Um, those are things often, if you get a chance to talk to a principal or a superintendent, can catch their attention. But we all know that today's climate's about testing and standards, standards and testing. Um, and so the importance of being able to connect the professional development we do to their standards at the appropriate grade levels and to make a connection with whatever statewide assessments being used is going to be critical. Uh, we want to make sure that you have the best data available. We, we live in sort of this iffy kind of world. Uh, we don't always have these clear quantitative data that we can use to show impact. Uh, we want to make sure that they're analyzed and reported on carefully. Again, a lot of times that takes expertise that was being funded through the Teaching American History grants. So how can you develop partnerships um, with universities, with private nonprofits? Uh, there's a lot of folks out there that can help you do that work. And uh, while all of them like to be paid well, uh, I think most of us in the field at the same time respect people who, who want to do evaluation as part of their work and uh, are willing to help out. Okay. One of the other important things is how you present the data. Uh, there's a term uh, that gets thrown out, an acronym uh, in our world called a NERT. I was interviewing a woman once. I said, well, most of your job is going to be the glorious, exciting work of writing reports, the life of an evaluator. And she said, I understand, but are they NERTs? And we scratched our head and said, what's a NERT? She goes, you know, N-E-R-T-S, nobody ever reads this. And we said, yeah, a lot of them are going to be NERTs. 
So what we want to make sure is with our evaluation findings, can you make that just like full size? Is to present them in a manner that a busy superintendent, a busy principal can read. And so we've been using, I call them fact sheets, uh, infographics, I think is the more accepted industry term. But trying to put your findings in one page in a visually pleasing format that's going to catch someone's eye, they're going to read it and say, I want to buy this. So what we do is we start with the summary up in the top left corner, just talk a little bit about the professional development, what was the content of the day. Um, we provide some data. These data should look familiar. Uh, it's what we just looked at. Uh, we have a couple quotes up in the top right corner, top left corner, top right corner for you all. And then we talked about the design of the research, the evaluation, and then the findings. We have a full-blown, anywhere from 10 to 20-page report for those who really want to get in and read the good stuff. But the people who are going to very likely buy what we want to sell are not going to read that full report. So trying to get into a format like this really helps. All it really is is a bunch of text boxes in Word. So it's not really complicated to do. And then giving just careful consideration to who are you going to market to, how are you going to market to, uh, but oftentimes we just have this great wealth of data. And the trick is, is using that, turning that around to uh, convince people, even though it's not a formal Teaching American History grant, the professional development and other services you have to offer is, is good. So. Thank you. I'm just going to do a quick um, talk a little bit about what we ended up doing right after uh, TH. We had some reorganizations internally that ended up bringing a lot of the education outreach under um, in the purview with the folks doing Teaching American History grants, including Ohio History Day, our History to Go van, Museum in a Box program. Of course, none of those are profitable. Um, and um, with TH, you know, going, you, you knew the end was going to be coming at some point. Um, what were we going to end up doing? And part of it is, I know that you can either think of it two ways. One, well, that's just too damn bad. Everyone else can look for other jobs, like your point's not to make money. Or the way I looked at it, which was the way a lot of, some of you have said, we did amazing work. And this was work that people, other people weren't going to pick up necessarily. And we had a decade's worth of information that we had used, contacts we had made, amazing professors who we had worked with who now really know how to present to a K-12 audience. And teachers liked what we what we were doing, we were asked to present at museum conferences, education conferences, and um, we had some other TAH grants from other states that would pay for us to come out and do our, our thing for them. So it's like, all right, is there some way that we can um, sell some of this knowledge for schools and museum professionals? And then um, what other needs existed? So I'm just gonna go over these briefly. Um, the big thing that we ended up doing was uh, the Creative Learning Factory. Some of you may have participated in our museum educator webinars. Um, but this was, there's a museum educator series, K-12 professional development workshops and webinars. Um, we were doing contracts direct with school districts, mostly were, which, which was where we were getting some of the most traction, and NEH grants, because like I said, at the time, we weren't funded by grants, we were funded by 
one grant program. So even just branching out to other foundations and um, the NEH grants was helpful. And then our contract services, um, we've been contracted to do some planning, uh, like strategic planning within museum education departments, as well as lesson plan creations. And um, the, the Creative Learning Factory, we are um, exhibiting, it's 310, I think is the, the booth number in the hall, so you can go. and. If nothing else, you can go pick up some chocolate and post-it notes and say hi to the folks at the booth. Um, and if you're interested in more about any of these, um, we can chat after the, uh, the presentation. Ohio's America, we had a teacher, we were thinking about, oh, maybe we should do some curriculum guides, things like that. We did not do our state history textbook like I know some other larger historical societies do. And one of the teachers we were talking with was like, well, we might as well, if you're going to do it and you don't have any legacy with it, you might as well make it online. So we did, we have our fourth grade online textbook and then there's an eighth grade supplement. And that then ended up expanding to creating similar resources for other institutions as well. So Cincinnati Public Schools has had us create one for local history at the third grade level, Miami University, the Miamia Project, which works on um, preserving and documenting the history of the Miami tribe, had us put a curriculum together about Miamia history as well. So this is at this point where we end up getting a lot of the funding to help continue doing our work, and there's a professional de development aspect to that too. So this was, you know, a lot of this was also there are opportunities that kind of presented itself. You know, if you're paying close enough attention Things don't fall in your lap because they're luck you're lucky. They fall in your lap because you're paying attention to them. So um, Jody will talk now a little bit about where we are right now. Because things are always in flux, right? It's not like, oh, we've got the solution. Take furious notes and it'll all work out great for you. Right. So this is really an example of how we approached it and what we're doing today. We probably have very similar challenges of what is up here and we're hoping that I can uh, share some information with you and then we want to get into a good group yeah. discussion before we leave so that we can all exchange information. So I was hired in the spring of 2014. I have a background in the arts and just spent five years in Mississippi. I was working for their state Arts Commission running a professional development program for teachers. When I came into the History Museum, which again is a new field for me, I took some time with our staff, which we were, now we're up to seven staff, not including myself, so including myself eight, and we went over each program and service. We took some time away from our desk and we kind of did a SWOT analysis to say what's working, what needs some work, and how could we dream to make this even bigger and better. And we came up with a list of things that we want to work on over the next three to five years. The two things that really stood out for me as a manager is how can I make this a sustainable department that is successful and mission driven with two environments that are always changing, the nonprofit world and the school environment. So the nonprofit environment, of course, as you know, is ever changing. And uh, as of today, out of seven staff members, we have two, except for Stacia, we have two staff members that oh, did the Teaching American History grants. So there's a lot of skills there that are still with those two people, but how do we make sure that we are passing along that experience, the event planning, the professional development that they offered, all of that, to the new staff that comes in? I mean, how do we document our past to make sure that we are still um, using the, that good work? 
And so as new staff has come in, what we've done is we've paired them, the new staff, with the veterans, and we've said, okay, you're working together in a team on this project, and so we've got new ideas, and then we've got this is what's worked in the past. So that's been a real interesting environment because there's, the experiences are much more rich, in my opinion, and everyone's learning from each other. Uh, we are getting ready to this year start documenting more about how our department came to light. So, uh, you know, teaching American history grants, how did we get all that? And just making sure that that institutional knowledge does not get left behind. How did we, we're just uh, talking about building more infrastructure, like um, talking about our past, but also planning for our future and documenting processes. Something in the nonprofit environment, as I'm sure a lot of you are aware of, is that things move so quickly and you want to do everything. I absolutely, you know, cross all your T's and dot all your I's, and you do, but then at the same time, then somebody leaves, and you go, ah, now i got to start over again. And so we really want to put focus on that over the next few years of documenting that, especially with uh, those two staff members that I still have um, working in there. The school environment, of course, is always changing. In Ohio, we adopted the Ohio's New Learning Standards in 2010. They do include the Common Core State Standards for English Language Arts and Math and new Social Studies Standards, amongst other subjects. So what our staff did was we went to all the Department of Education workshops that we were allowed to go into. We did a lot of self-study and we continue that. We had a speaker series, three or four folks came in this year from the Department of Ed that spent time with our staff to talk about the philosophy of the standards. We learned about 3C. Uh, we just we needed to make sure that we understood these standards, especially for the new folks coming in. So it's, it's a continuous uh, line of training that we're receiving. We made sure, of course, that all of our lesson plans that were posted online had the new standards. Our Ohio's America textbook definitely had all of the standards new aligned. And then we found other opportunities within the museum to make sure that um, our institution was using the correct standards. We have a, a pretty big staff, and so there's a lot of efforts that are going on. But that was a good partnership with other departments because we were able to give practice to our staff members. The things that we have found, which has kind of already been touched on a little bit, and again, kind of going along with your concerns, is that uh, professional development in Ohio is, is probably very similar to other places where the, the successful relationships are when we have a relationship with a district and they come to us and they say, this is what we would like you to help us with. That always is a win-win because they are part of the conversation. Uh, we have found that in-person workshops are much more effective according to evaluation than webinars. That's just maybe our teachers, I don't know. The others, yeah, you're nodding your heads. Um, and, uh, and then the things that we set up that we kind of sit around because we're all very brilliant creative people and we say, would it be great if we had this kind of workshop or that kind of webinar? You know, the results are mixed as far as who shows up. It's, you know, the, the, as we said, uh, I think Stacia said this earlier, that there's a lot of um, people who can only go to what is uh, decided by their district and so uh, if you're not in the district if you're not in the with those curriculum coordinators establishing those relationships then it can be a bit of a challenge what we are trying to do especially with a new staff is uh, we are trying to build relationships we have um, these are some of the things that are on our mind right now as we think about relationship building 
our design. We want to make sure that what we are currently doing within our department is still relevant to the teachers. And so, uh, and also how do we make sure, again, that we're protecting the past work that we've done as we integrate new things into there and uh, make sure it's what teachers want. The alignment, we want to align all of our products and services. And so we just came up with this thing we're calling the uh, outreach package. And that is for fourth grade teachers. They can get through a generous um, funder. We are able to be in 14 classrooms this year to pilot this initiative. Uh, all of the students get a subscription to Ohio is America. They get a history to go program. They get a museum in a box program and also a distance learning. So it's, it's really quite fun because we get to plan with the teachers. When do you want those services? There are different themes for the programs that come to the schools. And what we're hoping is that we're establishing this relationship with educators year round so that we can now talk to them about the upcoming year and other things that we can do like professional development. We're trying to build that trust with them. Uh, we are hoping to expand to other funders in the future to um, make this uh, more uh, accessible to other schools. And then a connection, we are trying to uh, build audiences in places that we have not been before. And so we are working with new partners like the Autism Society and uh, a local community college who is, uh, has a faculty person in the early childhood department that is going to help us build and modify these programs. And then we'll pilot it and put it out there. So we're, we're not just depending on professional development because as we go into evaluation, we're getting ready to do a large evaluation project with teachers to say, what do you need? We're gonna spend the money and we're gonna say, what do you need? Because we wanna make sure that we're still giving them what they, what they want, right? And um, we're also spending a lot of time thinking about, okay, if we're in the schools and we're working alongside teachers and we're developing things with them, again, we're building trust or being relevant. So there is a project that we're working on to create an arts integrated strategy that over the next two years to go in the classrooms. The last thing with, in regards to sustainability, we are still very heavily grant funded. We have some earned revenue, but we still have to write, everyone in our department needs to be writing grants. So in the future, we're hoping to invest more into our products and services that bring in the earned revenue so that we are not so dependent on grants. I know that's always been all of our dreams. <laughs> That's kind of where we are at today. I hope some of that was helpful to you. So now we're going to have a group discussion. You wanna oh, sure. read that one? Um, so let's chat. Um, we've got some questions here to lead us off. Um, what ways did you capitalize off your experience with TAH? What programs and services were inspired from your experience? And what did your data tell you about what educators need? So just kind of free form here. If you, um, you know, you've heard about some of the stuff we've done. You've heard about a few of the things that we're looking to do. What about you guys? So what ways did you capitalize your experience with TAH grants? Just throw them out. Yes, ma'am. Sorry. For smaller workshops. So you've been able to leverage the partnerships and relationships that you created in order to continue the good work that you've been doing. Or to not continue, it was not a good experience with that. Yeah, you cut them loose. I always joked, if we liked you, you're never going to get rid of us. <laughs> kind of the same story. Um, National History Day was an integral part of uh, one of the grants, particular 
and now we are invested in that school system um, from the very core. The superintendent is a huge proponent of National History Day now because of the TAH grant. That's where he was first exposed to it, mm -hmm. and now it's a core part of the curriculum there. So then you were able to leverage one of your yeah. other awesome programs and introduce that to even more people to kind of help History Day. Mm -hmm. We uh, had a close relationship with an evaluator that continued as she changed her jobs, and now we're working with, um, she's at a university now, and we're heavily involved in their teacher candidate program, so working with pre service Oh, that's good, the pre-service teachers, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we use, like many other people, the same kind of um, uh, programming and just offered it to other uh, teachers. I mean, a lot of our TAH, we do a lot of programming uh, with, with uh, school, one school district. And so we can then market what we did to other districts mm -hmm. in our region. Um, and we also found uh, after a while, like someone said before, we weren't getting the teachers coming to our workshops for fees that we, we wanted or expected. And actually realized that a lot of what we were doing was just basic adult education, a lot of what we were doing was exploring primary source materials, and we were seeing more museum educators sign up, or the general public asking us, gee, that looks like a wonderful program, can I come on that teacher? Mm -hmm. So we just kind of flipped it a little bit, and now we offer what we call hands-on history workshops, and we give a reduced grade to teachers. Um, we often will do one segment of the, the day or the program for pedagogy, but we just offer it, just market them more broadly. We get, we get teachers, but we get just control from the So you it's took great. the knowledge that you guys, what the programs and stuff you created that was the skill building aspect, mostly of your skill history building, day. Con but also content. But also the content piece. There's content that we, we, we worked with the partnerships that we developed, mm -hmm. but the core of what we did was putting actual artifacts, primary source uh, documents and People want to see cool stuff. Excuse me. People want to see cool exactly. stuff. Mm -hmm. exactly. That was the one thing for us, the teachers. I mean, once those white gloves came out, I mean, everyone's a historian at that point. You know, people are pumped when they saw the white gloves come out. <laughs> what about, so that talked about some programs and services that were inspired. Um, let's see, let's move to. Um, so you can, we can do a little small group discussion or um, let's just actually just do it as a full group. Think about any data that you have available from educators and what the results may say. What are you currently doing well for educators and what other ideas are you looking to explore? So um, let's see here. Districts doing, if no stipend, how to get, I was looking to see if um, there's anything up on there that might be good for this too, but what what do you feel like your if someone were to say what I'm a teacher what is the one awesome thing you can do for me? Kind of like thinking of a position statement at a certain point or your elevator speech. If you walk out the door right now and you run into a teacher, they're like, oh, what do you what can you do for me? What are the kind of things you answer? If you don't have an answer, that's okay. 
but this might give you some food for thought when you go back, maybe talk to your other educators. What do you guys say if someone actually asks you, well, what do you, what do you have? What are the things that you say to them? Yes. Uh, one of the problems that the teachers have with so much testing that's going on is that we're always concerned about when are you going to get the content because all, all, all it seems that they're doing it nowadays is testing. Mm -hmm. So what we do and, and what I can do is from what I gained from teaching American history is that we try to take that a little bit of the burden off from the teacher so that when they come to the museum, whatever they're teaching, we try to develop uh, that day around whatever they're teaching so they can get an extra help or uh, mm -hmm. take something away from them that they don't have to feel like that they're rushed to do in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, so we, uh, we design our, uh, when they come to the museum, we, we design what they're gonna do that day around what they're studying at that particular time. So you become the teacher's partner yes. in, in educating her class, his or her class. So we don't want them to feel like they're taking a day out of their curriculum to come to the museum. We want them to feel like that, that we're uh, adding to their curriculum by coming to the museum. Mm -hmm. Good. Mm -hmm. We partnered with other local educational institutions. Um, Target Field in Minneapolis, which is where the Minnesota Twins play, if anybody can help that. Mm -hmm. um, they actually have an education system with tour programs. So instead of just seeing the great baseball stadium, You have there's a one point about communicating opportunities and managing expectations. The communicate, not to shameless plug here, but the communicate opportunities. I think there's a session on that that you can meet the illustrious Hedler from the Dixon Hedler Student <laughs> Performance Measure at. Um, let's see, it is there's something about marketing, educational programming in tough times. Friday at 8.30 in the Rose Room. Yeah, marketing, educational, programming, and tough times. So that's going to be Betsy, um, 
Tim Hoagland from Minnesota Historical Society, and then Callie Hawkins from Lincoln's Cottage in D.C. So that might be something, too. If that's something you're really like, I don't know how to do this anymore. You know, how are we going to get to these people? That may be a good session for you to go to, although explore that um, quite a bit is my understanding. Yes? I have the museum outside of it, and the idea that we're exploring is a traveling trunk. Oh, mm -hmm. school system for fourth graders to learn about the African American history that's in our school system, which they don't get a chance to teach. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to get a criteria mm -hmm. you know, together for that mm -hmm. in our school system. Yeah. We're working with the superintendent schools for that. Good. You know, one of the things that we heard a lot of, and you may, you can nod your head or raise your hand uh, if you agree with some of our qualitative data, or even just the teachers anecdotally saying, is that our programs and our professional development made them feel like professionals. And I see some people nodding their heads with that. And, you know, especially now, there's so much, you know, everything, everything is wrong. It's the teacher's fault for everything, right? So going someplace where they actually, f they know and they can sense that these people think I'm a professional and they value the information that I have, they value the job that I do, and I can tell that. You know, people can see through the bullshit, right? They know if you think they're, but um, I think it's really important to, we learn that in TAH, because we were kind of putting on a show, right? And we've continued that, and I think that that's such an important part of this kind of programming is, you know, the teachers are our guests at a certain point and treating them with the respect that they deserve and evidently, and, you know, that they don't get it from a lot of other places. And I think that that's one of the things that um, when you talk about the, the first year I did it for the money, the second year I did it for the fun, um, and also the, the money, um, <laughs> the, uh, but fun came first. The, it's because of that. You've made them feel welcome, and I think museums are a really great place to do that. And so being able to continue some of those things that we learned. You know, and I wouldn't have necessarily thought, oh, okay, teachers don't feel like they get treated like professionals, but that's what we saw with the qualitative stuff as well. I think that if you can take the time to document any best practices that you had during those TAH experiences for your current and future staff, that would be very beneficial. I know that you would never regret doing that. Mm -hmm. So everything from how to communicate with the school to how to do a contract to um, what's a good um, event logistics, how do you talk to a caterer. There's some folks that when they enter the nonprofit world, they might be right out of college and might not have a lot of experience with that. So anything you can think of that you learned from that experience, I would definitely document. Mm -hmm. uh, if no stipend, how to get teachers in the door and how do we market? Um, you know, that session tomorrow may talk a little bit about that. I'll be honest, this is another one that's I don't know, Rich, I'll call on you since I see you out there. Do you guys have anything with this or not? I mean, we continue uh, the same kind of workshops. I mean, we partnered with other organizations um, like, like Yale University to do mm -hmm. a follow-up uh, kind of teaching American history grant where we went out and got another funder. Obviously, the money wasn't at the same rate. Right. It was, as Brent alluded to, but uh, we've continued those type of workshops. Um, we've also, the big thing that the, the piece for Mm -hmm. and that's where I've been trying to push my team 
thinking of us first when something comes up about postal competency or something comes up about the underground railroad. Yeah, Richard at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center. I'm trying to remember all my letters in the right order. They're at NERF uh, in Cincinnati. So. so that's my new focus over the next uh, uh, couple of years is trying to figure out ways for us to make a real relationship so it's not just a one-touch, one-time of year, mm -hmm. but we're engaging with those students mm -hmm. multiple times and teachers throughout the year. Mm -hmm. and what's the sustainability of that? Um, I think if we don't, I think uh, this is a struggle that I've had with So then from, oh, go ahead. because while I agree and know that's the way to do it, there's the brass tacks of, there's some cheddar that needs to come in, right? So, um, uh, you know, I just did a thing on outreach yesterday where I'm like, this is the aspirational part of it, and this is kind of, you know, we aren't quite there yet. But, yeah, I mean, what Creative Learning Factory was trying to do is capitalize on all of the stuff we had done for those districts that either were like, my teachers all said this stuff was cool, 
fine, give us some money, we'll come in and do it, and that's your sort of initial hook to then continue and get to the point right. where you guys are talking about with the long-term sustain. Because, yeah, you know in a day workshop you're not going to really make much of a change unless you put on one bomb-ass workshop, right? right? But, but, the but the argument you can make in, in that sense is that you can say this is, you know, we're focusing on teacher renewal, like, to, mm -hmm. you know, and giving you the, the space to think about it without promising that at the end of it you're going to see sustained change. Right, no, yeah, and, and yeah, and we've been... And I think stop making yourself crazy that you're not seeing sustained change after two mm -hmm. hours yeah, and no, and that's an excellent, yeah, because at the end, you're like, wait a minute, how are these, it's like, well, it's two hours, it's not yeah, going to happen hours, overnight. Feel great, and yeah, and, and that's, that's important. You're making them feel like professionals and that they have valued yeah. professionals, you value them as well. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it takes a long time. I just want to say real quick that earlier, earlier when Stacia said, what do you guys think you do really well? And, and you probably were all thinking about that. That's so important that you articulate that because that you, you might only have 30 seconds with an administrator, so you need to be able to say that and try to move all of your programming toward that. So if it's to make students feel like historians, then everything needs to go along with that and knowing that, just like we're saying, a two-hour thing's not going to necessarily make them feel like historians long-term. Mm -hmm. It's important. Um, okay, so we only have a few minutes left. Oh, yes, ma'am. You mentioned earlier that you're still grant funded, you're still getting a lot of your... There are a lot of grants that we are receiving to do some of the work we're doing, work. yes. And then you said you're also hoping to invest more in products and services. What are those products and services that you want to like invest more in and you hope to get the income from? Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the programs and services that we get earned revenue from right now, just to tell you, is uh, the History to Go program, which is bringing uh, stations to the school that has replicas of artifacts from our collection, the Museum in a Box, which is our trunk program. We do Ohio is America, which is really the 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 real exciting thing that's happening right now. Um, we received some funding from the state, uh, no, schools received funding from the state last year to get technology in their classroom, and so we had an influx of subscribers this year mm -hmm. who tried out our product, so that was really awesome, and we're hoping that they become paid subscribers this year. Um, we are getting ready to do um, mm -hmm. the next revision of that. Then uh, there, of course, is Creative Learning Factory, and so we do do contracts for lesson plans. We do the textbooks. We have done strategic planning in the museum settings. So there are lots of different things that we have done in the past, but what we want to do is ask the teachers through this evaluation this year, what is it that you need for us to do? We have a staff that has a variety of backgrounds, and so we want to look at, okay, well, if they're saying that they would like us to provide more lesson plans in the classroom, or if they want to help their students become more digital literate in the classroom, then that's what we want to invest our staff's professional development time in. Or we want to make sure that what we're doing is connecting to what they want to do. Does that help? Good. Okay, so just a few minutes left to do a very quick reflection. I don't know about you, but when I go to these conferences, at the end of the day, I'm always like, wow, I wrote a lot of notes, and I don't even want to look at them, and then I go back to my desk, and sometimes I don't look at them for a couple weeks. I'm sorry, Stacia. But um, I, this is an opportunity for you just to take five minutes, um, grab a piece of paper, please, and a pen, and draw a circle on your piece of paper, please, and a square and a triangle. And they don't have to be perfectly configured. You're not going to show anyone. 
So circle, square, and triangle, and then I'll give you the next set of directions. Okay? Great. So the first object, what is circling around in your head right now? So I'll give you a few moments to think about that. Just jot a couple things. After this conversation, we've been talking all about TAH. We've been talking about what we've learned, sustainability, the future. What's like one of the things that you just, you're like, yes, yes, I need to keep chewing on that. I need to keep thinking about that. And the next thing is, what squares with your beliefs? What about TAH squares with your beliefs as an educator? The last thing is the triangle. There's three points to it. What three things will you tell someone about our conversation today? Any three things that really stood out for you? Well, it is 2.45, our time is up together, but we will be staying for a little while to talk with anyone if you're interested. Thank you so much for sharing your information and stories with us. We hope it was very helpful. There are pink evaluation sheets, if you would. Please fill them out and leave them on one of the back chairs for the volunteer to pick up later on. Thank you and have a great conference.